Well, hello, everybody. We are in part two of a nine-part series in the book of James. And uh, I just love James' story. I love the book of James. James was a a brother of Jesus, half-brother, grew up with Jesus. And uh, what we learn is that James did not become uh, a believer, did not put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior until after Jesus' resurrection. But James became a significant leader in the church. And so we're going to be looking at the the book of James, and and, and particularly uh, we're going to look at a theme called listening and doing. And so before we get started today, I want to read the passages that we're going to look at today. It's in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. I'm reading from the NIV version, and, and, and my title here for these passages is Listening and Doing. And, and my goal here is that we can just start the morning off with just hearing God's Word, receiving it, and let it soak into our hearts. So let's get started. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're going to dive right in here. Verse 19. My dear brothers, and I'm going to include our sisters here, want you to come along with us. James says this, take note of this. So I hope that you guys all got a worship folder on your way in. You have an outline, you have it out, you're ready to take notes. Why? Because the Bible says so. But we're going to do something a little bit differently today. Usually in the outline, we have you have do fill-ins, and it's just making the point of, of or it's uh, helping you remember the point that we're trying to make. I've done it a little bit differently today. I put it in the form of a question. Because I don't want you to be, our, our whole theme today is listening and doing. I don't want you to just be hearers of the word. I want you to take today's message, take it home this week, and I want you to wrestle with it. I want you to be doers of the word. So my first question for you, I want you to write there on your outline, is am I a Christian? James is addressing this letter to Christians, to believers. That's what he means when he says, my dear brothers. So what if you're not a Christian? I want you to know that we are glad that you are here. You are obviously here for a reason. Maybe you're checking this Christian thing out. And I want you to know that Christianity can be very relevant to your everyday life. 
There was a time in my life when I thought all there was to this Christian thing was an insurance policy, a policy for keeping me um, from going to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want my life to change. I wanted to keep doing what I wanted, wanted to do, but I wanted to stay out of hell. And that changed when I became a dad, when I went through a bankruptcy, when I went through a divorce. With the help of this church and small groups, I learned that God has a lot to say about parenting, about marriage, about my money, about my everyday life. I came to Rockbrook just like you have this morning, and I I heard the same things you did. I heard biblical teaching from God's Word. I heard get in a small group, take growth track, get on the dream team. I heard it, and I did it, and it changed my life. And that's my hope for you today. So let's continue verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. God has something to say about how we respond to life. So my next question for you is, which one of these are you good at or not so good at? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, You know, last week we learned that uh, trials are a tool that God uses to teach us something. God uses trials to change our character and our conduct. And we learned that temptations are traps to mess up our relationship with God. To mess up that relationship. And we learned that, that temptations are not from God, they're from the devil. And I believe whether you're a Christian or not, we all go through trials and temptations. And this is what I think James has noticed about the church, about believers. They are failing to respond to the trials and temptations with the right attitude. Instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak, they're getting angry. You know, there are three things that have the potential to produce anger in a person. You tell a person no, tell them they need to change, tell them they're caught. No change and you're caught are all parts of trials and temptations. When we get angry, we start blaming God and we blame others instead of owning it. You know, I remember a trial that I faced that changed my conduct. It changed the way that I disciplined my children. When one of my sons was younger, he had done something that was very out of character for him. It was very upsetting. I don't want to embarrass my son by revealing what he did. For this illustration, that doesn't really matter. What I want to illustrate to you is that I was very, very angry. And fortunately for him, on my way home from work the day before, I'd listened to Dr. James Dobson on Christian radio. And this is how I know that God has a plan and a purpose for my son because he spared his life through (laughs) Dr. Dobson. And Dr. Dobson was making the point that parents should not discipline their children out of anger, that you need to separate from that child, perhaps send them to their room. Let that anger cool down. Let that anger slow down, and then you discipline. 
you start by having them explain to you what they did wrong. That's quick to listen. Then you teach them what they need to learn from that experience. Tell them why they need to be punished. That's slow to speak. That's far different than flying off the handle in a rage like I would have done. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. You know, God gave you one mouth and two ears. He wants you to listen as twice as much as you speak. He even went as far as to put this ivory fence around your tongue to rein in that tongue. He gave you a seal on your mouth called lips so that you can put them together and keep your mouth shut. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That right there will keep you out of the backseat of a police car. It'll keep you out of uh, divorce court. It'll keep you from getting fired from your job. It'll keep somebody from vandalizing your fence with their fist. Trust me, I've got a chip in mind because I ran my mouth too much. And anger can be expressed in many different ways. You know, a person screaming at the top of their lungs is just one way of expressing anger. You can be quiet. You can give the silent treatment. You know, an angry person can be, can be a comedian. You know, when God was passing out brains, Tom thought they said trains, so he asked for a slow one. <laughs> Anger can be a normal tone coupled with hurtful words. You fool. Well, let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus comes along and he ups the ante on this. And he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And he goes on to say, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That expression there, you fool, is the same meaning of when you get angry at somebody, so angry, you wish they go to hell. Jesus saying, woe to you if you want to condemn somebody to hell because I don't want him to go there. Maybe you get angry by getting even in secret or being a dream buster. You shoot down every good idea. You know, you're just negative and disagreeable. Maybe you slam doors, slam drawers, and you stomp out of the room. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So here's my question for you, your next one. The last time you got angry, was it because God or someone told you no, you needed to change, or you were caught? No, I needed to change, or I was caught. You know, instead of responding so quickly, let's slow down and be quick to listen to what God has to say to us. Why does our response matter? Verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Circle the righteous life God desires. God desires the best life for you, a righteous life. God desires for us to live a righteous life. And if you're going to be in opposition to that, if you're going to get angry about the process that God uses to change your your conduct and your character by getting angry, you're going to short circuit that process. But what would a righteous life look like? You know, when I say God desires for you to live a righteous life, 
Are you, are you like thinking a monk, a nun, or, you know, a, a Billy Graham, or, you know, I can't live that kind of life. I can't live a perfect life. But let's look at Galatians 5, through 23. This is known as the fruit of the Spirit. And when you, become, when you become a believer, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that God puts His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in you. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has the character of God. He is God. And here's His character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that sound like the kind of life you want to live? Man, that's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of people I want to be around. And I can tell you that I am far different than when I gave my life to Jesus Christ in 1996 than I am now. I am more loving. I'm more kind. I'm more gentle. I definitely have more self-control. I'm not perfect, but through God and his word and his church, I am making progress. So let me ask you this question. Would the people closest to you consider you an angry person or a righteous person? Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James is telling us to get rid of, to discard all that moral filth and the evil it's the idea of taking off dirty clothes. How many of you ever heard this from your mom or a grandparent? Hey, don't you dare come in this house with those clothes on. Right? It's my, my best friend, his grandparents had a farm in, in Nevada, Missouri. And growing up, we would go down there in the summer. And me and my friend all day long would spend our time wading through creeks and ponds and the barn. We were trying to catch snakes and fish and crawdads and farm animals. And at the end of the day, we would come back up to that farmhouse and his mom would say, don't you dare come in this house with those clothes on. So we would strip down to our skivvies and his dad would take the garden hose and he'd hose us off. And then we would go in and we'd change our clothes and she would wash those clothes. Now, James also says, Take off the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. You know, we tend to think that our sin is unique, that nobody else is doing this. I am the only one that is messed up. And James is saying, no, that's not true. He says it's so prevalent, it's common. It's common. But here's the good news. He's also telling us that we can get rid of it, no matter what it is. And how do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent? We choose to get rid of it. And this is how he says, this is what he says. He says you need to choose to get rid of it, and then you need to accept something else. And this is what he goes on to say. Humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Let me read John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word. The word here is Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. With him nothing, nothing that was made that has nothing was made that has been made in him was life. And that life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You know, what happens when you walk into a dark room and you flip the switch on, right? The light comes on and bam, the darkness disappears. That's what happens when you have Jesus, the Word of God, planted in you. You know, the Bible is more than a, a, a book that's bound with, with paper with black and red ink on it that you've bought from a Christian bookstore. The meaning of the words, their power, they are the words, they are the very presence and power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And James says, we need to openly receive the word. We need to let the word soak in. We need to be quick to listen to the word. So my next question, what has God's word revealed to me that I need to get rid of? What has God's word revealed to me that I need to get rid of? You have to humbly accept him. Accept his word. Accept the fact that the word tells you that you have moral filth and evil. But you also need to accept the truth that you have planted the word into your heart and it can save you. Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection paves the way for us to have that kind of life, a life free of moral filth and evil, a righteous life. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus has washed away our sins. Jesus and the word are synonymous. They're the same. You cannot separate one from the other. And when you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, God's word was planted into your heart. Where else do we see this idea in the Bible about the word being planted in a person? We find it in Matthew 13, 3 through 9. And this is Jesus telling this story. Jesus says this, A farmer went out to sow his seed. The seed is the word. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. This is the total rejection of the word. The hard path is in in opposition of the seed, of the word. And the birds come down, and the birds represent evil. The, the, The evil comes down and snatches it away. And Jesus goes on to say that some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. This is the emotional response. This is the response that I had to, Je- had, had to Jesus before I became a believer. It's the idea, I want Jesus to bail me out. I want the insurance policy. I don't want to go to hell. I want to continue to live my same life. Bail me out of this one, Jesus. I, I, I don't really care about what you have for me. I want to know what you can do f- for me. And Jesus says this, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Look, the trials and the temptations come and they turn the heat up. And I say, forget it. I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of Jesus changing my character and conduct. And then Jesus says, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. This is the deceived person. This is the person that says, I'm doing good. I'm okay. You know, I go to church every week. Maybe I go to my small group, but I'm not really interested in working on this faith thing. You know, I've got work. I've got hobbies. I've got kids. I've got kids' activities. You know, I've got a vacation to plan. I've got me time. 
And all those things come in and it chokes the very word, the very life out of you. Then Jesus goes on to say, still other seed fell on good soil. This good soil humbly accepts the word and it produced a crop a hundred, thirty, or sixty times what was sown. And Jesus wraps this up and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Listening and doing. The soil received and it produced something. It did something. It changed. And, and here's the idea. We say this all the time around here. Salvation is just the starting point of the Christian life. That's the seed being planted. But God has a plan and a purpose for you. He has something far greater than you. And that's the crop that produces 30, 60 times, 100 times more than just salvation. God wants you to live a righteous life. We need to humbly accept the word that's planted in us. James is writing this letter to Christians. So look, if you're a Christian, you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has planted his word in you. And the problem uh, that James is addressing is the idea that you call yourself a Christian, but there's no life change. You're no different. You're not producing anything. You don't live out what you believe. You don't have an active faith. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We can't just be hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. If you're only hearing the word, you are deceiving yourself. So here's my next question. Would I be able to tell somebody on Monday morning what the weekend sermon was about and what it meant to me? So in other words, at work on Monday, somebody says, what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. What was the message about? Deception is worse than faking it. When you are faking it, you know you're in trouble. You know something's wrong. That's why you're faking it. So you put a mask on to make it look good. Deception is far worse. Deception is no longer knowing that you're in trouble. You say, I'm good. You know, I go to church, go to my small group. I'm good. Me and God, we're good. But then when God comes along through his word or through somebody and tells you no, you need to change or you were caught, you get angry. Belief plus action equals active faith. It's like this. How many of you believe it is wise to save money? How many of you believe that? That it is wise to save money? Right. I think we all believe that. Don't raise your hand on this next question. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But now, how many of you are actively saving money? Belief plus action. You know, faith is another word for trust. The more you act on your belief, the more you're going to begin to trust God, trust his word. The more trust you develop in Jesus, the more you let him into your life, the more you're, you're going to allow him to change your life because then you be just begin to discover that he is trustworthy. You know, how many of you believe that reading the Bible is an important discipline of the Christian life? I think any Christian would say, I believe that. But now let me ask you this question. 
How many of you, don't raise your hands, I'm not here to embarrass you, how many of you are reading the Bible on a regular basis? And I'm going to define regular basis as four or more times a week, okay? And the reason I say that is because they, studies show if you're not reading the Bible four or more times a week, it probably is not making a difference in your life. Look, the devil knows the Bible far greater than all of us combined in this room. He knows that Jesus Christ walked on this earth, died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and then he's coming back to judge. He knows this. He is in opposition of it. He does not act on it. He is not making Jesus Christ his Lord and Savior. He wants to be God. Verse 23 and 24, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now in James' day, they did not have glass mirrors like we have today. In their day, they would take metal and they would polish it and get a real good shine on it and and that's what they would use for a mirror. Now the trouble with this kind of mirror is, is that it reflects a distorted image. Okay, it's not like our mirrors. It gives you that HD image, you know. (laughs) So, but I want you to know that when you're looking at something, James is saying that when you look, it's just another way of of hearing. Okay, so look, when when you look at something and you see that it's out of place, right? Your eyes are telling your brain, we need to fix this. All right, you didn't hear it audibly, you heard it visually, and in this verse, James uses the term, he says, so like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. This term man, he's really using male here. He's being real intentional about it because just like uh, today in James' day, uh, it's the same thing for a man, all right? When a man, he just walks up to the mirror, looks in it real quick, his little flex, man, I look good. <laughs> Unlike the woman who will, you know, she's gazing in that mirror, putting her makeup on, putting it eyelashes, lipstick. She's looking at it, right? And, 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 and James is saying, he's being real, te- he's real, being real intentional here, and he says, um, you know, the man goes in and he says, man, I look good, and walks away. And then the man walks out to kiss his wife goodbye to go preach, I mean to work. This story isn't about me, okay? <laughs> and she says, here, l- let me fix your collar, And as she's doing that, she goes, ooh, wait a minute. She goes into the bathroom, she gets some tweezers, and she comes back, and she (laughs) yanks on that nose hair that's hanging out of his nose, and his eyes water up, and the next thing, he he knows that she's she's yanking out that eyebrow that's sticking out about four inches. It looks like an insect antenna. She yanks it out, and he's trying to recover from all this, and then he hears the electric razor fire up, and she begins mowing the hair off of his ears. Okay? And James is saying, don't just listen to or read the word of God and do nothing about it. Don't be like the man who looks in the mirror and and flexes and says, oh, I'm good. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. 
to look intently is this idea of stooping down. Kind of like if, if you've ever helped somebody look for a contact lens that's, you know, that's fell out, you've got to stoop down. You've got to look intently. And just like a mirror, a polished piece of metal, you're going to have to look at it intently a little bit longer because it's a distorted image. But, but James is saying with the Word of God that, that you need to get into it. You need to humble yourself. You need to, you need to receive it. Look intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, we just don't come to read this, read a verse a day to keep the, the devil away. We are not coming to just open a book. I'm coming to meet Jesus through a book. It's the living word. And when I look into it intently, it doesn't reveal to me what's on the outside. It's revealing to me what's on the inside. And God wants to change my character and conduct. He wants the righteous life for me. He wants me to be free. So there on your outline in verse 25, I want you to circle looks intently. Looks intently means to study. To study. Study your Bible. Circle continues in it. That means making it a habit. Making it a habit in your life. Circle not forgetting. Not forgetting is memorizing God's word. Memorizing God's word and then doing it. That's applying it. Want to apply God's word. And James says that's how you're blessed in what you do. You know, to be blessed means to be highly favored, to have joy, to have a, a heavenly, heavenly bliss. See, God wants to change our life. He wants a good life, an abundant life for us. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Another word for religion here is faith. You know, faith is not rituals. It's not tradition. It's not about the clothes we wear or the type of songs that we sing. A pure faith is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about loving what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? He loves people. And he especially loves people that are in, in, in distress. Verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We are to look after those in, in distress. We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. So here's my next question for you. When is the last time that you used your time, your talents, or your treasures to help somebody in distress. When James converted to Christianity, he was in Jerusalem. He witnessed the birth of the New Testament church. 
He saw the church in its purest form. And I believe that James is writing his letter to Christians and asking them, let's get back to our roots. He's instructing them to be listeners and doers. Listening and doing is the blueprint for faith. And here is what is written in the book of Acts. These verses describe the behavior of this newly formed church. And I believe this is what James is calling Christians to be and to do. See if you can make that connection when I read these verses. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You know, this is a religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. This is what God desires for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this church that encourages us to make our faith work. We praise you for the freedom we find in your word. Search us, Lord, and reveal to us the moral filth and evil that chokes the righteous life out. Help us to be quick listeners, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Lord, forgive us of the times when you have said no, you need to change, or you're caught, and we became angry instead of obedient and repentant. Lord, connect the word planted in us with our hands and feet. We want to be known as listeners and doers of the word. We want to be a testimony to a faith that is pure and faultless. Open our eyes and our ears to those that are in distress. May we be a people that breathes life into hopeless and helpless people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.